2: Welcome back to another episode of the Packet A Podcast. You can get all your pack A updates by following us on Twitter at pack A Podcast, and remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I am here as always with Andrew Mertig. Andrew, it is Friday again. It is good to be back for another episode of the podcast. Yeah, we're back. I got more energy. It's
3: late <laughs> July. We gotta be talking well, it's mid-July, I guess, technically. We need to be talking about
2: football, right? Like, or football. we're getting close to it. We're getting very close to football. And we are excited for a couple different reasons because today it's kind of a special episode for Andrew and I. Today is our 100th episode together. Uh, obviously, Pack a Day as a whole has gone well over 700 episodes, but Andrew and I have been recording together for almost exactly two years now. So, happy 100th episode, Andrew! Wow, that that that's
3: pretty cool. It's like our anniversary. What did you get me?
2: I I got you a taco.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, so we had a little Twitter interaction about tacos. You know who's not going to be having an anniversary is Aaron Rodgers and Danica Patrick, which I think we should
4: just talk about
2: <laughs> the entire episode, right? That's all anybody really cares about. You're right. That's all we have to talk about in mid-July when it comes to the NFL is the dating relationships of NFL quarterbacks. That's all we got.
3: Yeah. Anyway, so we are not going to touch on on that at all, but going back to what you were saying, it is amazing to think that we've done 100 episodes together. And kudos to Andy Herman, by the way, for doing the math and pointing that out to us. Uh, We are actually the longest-running grouping on the show, and Andy had just randomly suggested that we go together when this podcast was being formulated, which is really cool. Uh, I I think it's got a little bit of destiny because it has been a great partnership. Uh, None of this is possible or, or even fun without the listeners. So uh, thank you so much to all of you for sticking with us over the last two years and for all the interaction. So if you get a chance, go out and follow us on Twitter. Kyle's at Packer underscore pundit. I'm at Andrew Mertig. That's the hundredth time I've said that. So <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead and check that out. Um, and, and But like, that's enough about us tooting
2: our own horn. Yeah. Kyle, on with the show. Seriously, use the word Destiny. Uh, to refer to us and uh, I, I think that's that's pretty pretty generous. Thanks for putting up with me for all this time. It's been fun uh, but. If you've been listening on Fridays, you do know that we are in the middle of an ongoing project here. To get to know every team on the Packers 2020 schedule, we wanted to take a look at what each of these 2020 opponents has done this offseason to potentially get better. So we're looking at these teams' drafts, their free agency moves, coaching changes, whatever. Anything we can to gain a clearer picture of these teams' Green Bay will face this coming season. We've covered each of the Packers' division rivals throughout this process, and last week was a lot of fun. We looked at the Texans and the hated San Francisco 49ers, but this week we've got a pair of AFC South teams that land on the Packers' schedule late in the season. Today we've got the Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so I think there's a lot of questions around both of these franchises right now and what we should expect out of them in 2020 so i'm personally really excited to get into this and take a closer look at these two teams today so andrew uh do you want to go ahead and kick us off with those jacksonville jaguars yeah, so some of the biggest moves that the
3: Yoxsonville Jaguars made <laughs> over the offseason uh, actually had to do with their coaching staff, which is some of the least interesting moves of all. But I do want to talk about them because they're actually important. One of the things that they did was they fired their offensive coordinator, John DiFilippo. Um, and oh, man, what a massive slide this guy has taken. Like, he was destined in Minnesota to be like the next head coaching guy. Instead, he gets bounced from that job. He ends up in Jacksonville. He gets fired after one year. Um, You you, you really got a feel for him, Um, but hopefully he lands on his feet somewhere. They ended up hiring Jay Gruden, which I didn't even realize. I don't know what I was paying attention to the day that that news came across the wire, but um, hiring the former Washington coach. As their offensive coordinator, and then they also named Trent Balky director of player personnel. And if you're not familiar with Trent Balke, uh, he was in San Francisco. He really orchestrated a lot of their big run with with um, John R- Jim Harbaugh. Oh my gosh, what's what's going on, uh, Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> and and so he he was credited with a lot of success of that roster building. And I, I feel like he's off to a pretty good start with Jacksonville uh, this offseason, especially when we get to the draft portion. Um, but they did. They went out and they re-signed their wide receiver, Keelan Cole, uh, also defensive lineman Carl Davis. Oh, well. um, they they signed free agency Edge, Cassius Marsh, uh, Edge, Aaron Lynch, uh, quarterback Rashawn Melvin, and tight end Tyler Eifert. Please don't let me draft Tyler Eifert in fantasy football, Kyle. He's always hurt. That has burned me for the last like seventeen seasons in a row. I will text you
2: a reminder prior to your draft.
3: Thank you. I mean, they didn't have any major losses in free agent, um, but they did trade away Calais Campbell to the Ravens for a fifth round pick, which seems like uh, not a very good return on what is a fantastic defensive lineman.
2: So these are some good moves. This this is interesting. This is a this is a. I I just have to say here, uh, Jay Gruden getting out of Washington. May be good for Jay Gruden. It'll be interesting to see if anything follows Jay Gruden to Jacksonville and if that is a problem. Obviously, all the things that are happening in Washington right now is very interesting, a lot to still be uncovered. We talked about whether or not we were going to discuss this today, and then I just fell into the trap after we said maybe we wouldn't touch it, but... With Jay Gruden obviously having those ties to Washington, it will be really interesting to see what develops there uh, in Washington. But yeah, I did not remember that Jay Gruden made that move from Washington to Jacksonville either. So uh, good catch there. It'll be interesting to see how that coaching staff continues to take shape. Um, But keeping Keenan Cole and Carl Davis are some solid moves for this team. Uh, There's not a lot that really gets you excited about There are other additions here in free agency. I don't see a lot of difference makers among the players that you just listed. And then the loss of Clayus Campbell to the Ravens is obviously huge. And that fifth round compensation is kind of depressing. Um, Obviously, there was a lot more to that trade that complicated things. The Jags had very little leverage in that situation. And the Ravens obviously did have to come up with the cash for Campbell after that trade was made. But seeing just that fifth round pick in return is obviously kind of disappointing in that situation. Uh, You mentioned how this team has been completely gutted um, in some places in this roster. So it will be interesting to see if they're able to turn to the draft and uh, fill some of those needs uh, as they, they make those adjustments. Should we get into the draft, Andrew? Yeah, go ahead. Let's get into the draft. In the first round, they took CJ Henderson, the cornerback from Florida. Uh, They took Caleb on Chasen, the edge from LSU, in the second round. LaVisca Chenault. Oh, they did have a second first round pick there. You are absolutely right. Caleb on Chasen in the first round there at pick number 20 overall. LaVisca Chenault was their second round pick out of Colorado, the wide receiver. Uh, Devon Hamilton, the defensive tackle out of Ohio State, in the third. And then they just had an onslaught of picks here. So we've got. Three fourth rounds. We've got Ben Bartsch, the offensive tackle out of St. John's. Uh, Josiah Scott, the corner out of Michigan State. Shaq Quarterman, the linebacker out of Miami. All fourth round picks. Two fifth round picks. Daniel Thomas, the safety out of Auburn. Colin Johnson, the wide receiver from Texas. Sixth round, two picks. Jake Luton, quarterback from Oregon State. Tyler Davis, the tight end from Georgia Tech. And then finally, with their seventh round pick, they took Chris Clay Brooks, the s- cornerback from Memphis that we've all studied very, very carefully. Um, so clearly, you know, with the departures of Campbell and the needs at quarter cornerback on this team, uh, the Jaguars had to find a way to address the defense. And they did that here early in the draft by taking those two SEC defenders who really could be cornerstones for this team for a long time And Henderson and chase on. I-, I know a lot of people love Henderson and that, Many um, really liked him more than Jeff Akuda. I know that that you know, seems kind of odd, but especially for those considering man-to-man coverage, uh, he may have been better in that regard uh, coming out of school. But uh, then LaVisca Chenault is someone that we've talked about on this podcast several times because his skill set would have been really fun to have in Green Bay. And I know, Andrew, you you liked Chenault a little bit more than I did. The injury scared me off a little bit. Uh, but it is fun to imagine a healthy LaVisca paired with DJ Chark. And some of the other weapons that the, this young Jags team has. So uh, lots to like in this class for me, for the Jaguars. I think they did a pretty good job here this spring addressing some of those needs.
3: Yeah, and it, this was a really interesting draft. I would I would say the Jaguars probably had my favorite draft of any team other than the Baltimore Ravens. Um, they ended up with three of my top 26 players, and I thought they got really good value in the middle rounds as well. Uh, CJ Henderson, you mentioned this. He's he's just an elite man corner. I, I had him slightly below AJ Terrell because I liked Terrell's ability in zone more as a balanced player. But if you're a team that just wants to go out and say, replace Jalen Ramsey, for instance, uh, just put a guy on an island, Henderson can be that dude right away. Uh, Caleb on chase on is going to have to learn to play the run, but for a guy you can just put out there in situational pass rush situations, he's got a ton of juice, he's got a ton of bend. Um, the pass rush moves are surprisingly good for somebody who's pretty raw. Um, and you, you think about long term, putting chase on opposite Josh Allen uh, from last year's draft class, and suddenly that edge duo is is pretty scary in Jacksonville, and they, they sort of just reload the defense every year. Uh, LaVisca Chanel, you mentioned, I, I did love him Um, he's really quick he's his long speed looks super easy uh, good at comeback routes Um, there's a little bit of laziness on in and out cutting routes he's got to refine that ability Um, he doesn't win on on a lot of deep routes uh, despite that speed that I talked about but they used him all over the field you know he was a wildcat quarterback he was a running back he was a slot he played outside He, he ran a lot of jet sweeps He's got strong hands. He's going to catch through contact, tough runner, patient with the ball in his hands. Um, you could see him playing running back at times. Um, you just got to find ways to get him the ball. He, he, he to me, could be this year's Debo Samuel. I, I, I think he can make that kind of impact if you just find ways to generate offense through him, find ways to get him the ball. And so we'll we'll have to see if Jay Gruden can figure that out on this, this offense. Uh, for Devon Hamilton... Um, he's a guy I, I think both of us liked a little bit. Um, big, powerful, true nose tackle. He he actually has a little bit of wiggle to his room, so I think he could probably play a little bit on pass rushing downs. Um, he's got great technique, great power. He's a he's a true disruptor. The, those guys just they're they're a rare skill set. Um, when we talk about Chase on. Maybe not being able to play those rundowns. Hamilton's going to thrive in those running situations early in his career. And then hopefully, you know, you bring him along in the pass rush department. Uh, ben Barch, uh, really impressive movement skills. Um, he actually he has a little bit of power and re-anchor ability. Um, he's going to have to improve his strength at the next level, but I think you redshirt him and where they got him in the draft is a fantastic value. Um, and you hope he turns into a tackle, uh, Josiah Scott, the corner you talked about from Michigan state, small guy, five, nine fast and quick, good ball production. Uh, he can take it away from you. Um, He's not a great tackler. He's not going to win a lot of contested catches because of his frame and lack of strength. But, man, slot corners get really undervalued. And this is another guy he could step right in and be a good player. Uh, Shaquille Quarterman is a thumper. He reads plays really well. He's going to hit people, find gaps, take on linemen. Um, You know, he doesn't do an awesome job of getting off blocks because he's length deficient. Uh, Not great in coverage. Not a sideline to sideline guy. But you pair him next to somebody like Miles Jack, for instance, who does move really well. And and you might have a really good complementary player. I didn't love quarterman. But again, you get him in the middle round instead of, you, you know, people are talking about him in the second, third. And that's when I get leery of him. But quarterman at this point in the draft, I, I think he's a solid value. He played a lot of snaps at Miami. And I, I think he he's a guy. You can rely on him to be a good special teams player for sure. And that's all you're expecting of a mid-round pick. And maybe he gives you some snaps, uh, like I said, next to a guy like Miles Jack. And then you get Colin Johnson, um, the wide receiver. He's huge. Um, He's actually a surprisingly polished route runner. He's not, like, fast or quick. He's got great length, but uh, weirdly struggles with some contested catching situations, which is is odd for a guy his size. But, again, you know, you talked about Chenault. And you talked about um, the the other wide receiver, Kyle. DJ Chark. DJ Chark. Why does this happen to me every yeah. time? <laughs> this is three but, weeks in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Johnson's a really nice complimentary player to those two guys, and 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 I I, I love that. I, I think you know you, you talk about building your wide receiver room like a basketball team. Well, Colin Johnson's your center in this case, and and he's the guy that's going to be
2: able to go up and get it. I really like this group, like I said, and I think you kind of look at this draft. You mentioned uh, that they, they brought in bulky uh, to help uh, in the front office there, and, and I think that you kind of look at this draft and you can kind of see the identity behind it and what they're trying to do. Uh, you see impact guys that if they are who you think they are, are going to be cornerstone pieces for this team for a long time. And C.J. Henderson, Caleb Chason, and LaVisca Chenault, they're all guys, if they hit, huge impact players and then down the line you see guys that okay you're taking some risk on but if they if they become the player that they could be with some development man this could be an incredible draft class so I think you got to like a lot of the pieces that they were able to add here in Jacksonville Uh, but the question is all that considered did this team get better or in all the transactions did they actually get worse over the course of this offseason Andrew?
3: Well, it's interesting because this is a team that had to really implode their roster over the course of the last couple of seasons. Uh, they had to work to gain some cap room. They needed to draft really well. And I think they're off to a really good start to that process. I, I think likely the best case scenario for this team is that they actually have another bad season um, and put themselves in a position to draft a quarterback next offseason. But they are not better this year. I, I just don't think, you know, we talked about the the losses that they've suffered um, over the course of the last calendar year, um, including Jalen Ramsey, including Calais Campbell. They just can't, I, I can't like legitimately say that this team got better and that's fine. Um, this is a game the Packers absolutely have to be favored in and they have to go in and win when, when you're talking about a team that's led at quarterback by Gardner Minshew, and a lot of really young weapons around him, this isn't a team that should be a threat in
2: 2020. But again, it's the NFL, so every game is a challenge. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I I don't think this is a team that got a ton better this offseason. But after working through this exercise with you, I'm not convinced that they were really trying that hard, which I know sounds kind of like a weird thing to say. Obviously, the goal is to win and and to put out a winning product on the field. Uh, But this really feels like a team that knows that they are in a full Rebuild And teams go through these stages, but it's got to be kind of frustrating to be a Jaguars fan because it kind of feels like they never got out of rebuild mode in the Bortles years. And then now it kind of feels like they're starting over. And in the nine months that the Jags um, have had here in the past of part of last season and then this offseason, they've traded both A.J. Bouye and Jalen Ramsey, which is a ton of talent. From those trades, they acquired a combined two first-round picks and two fourth-round picks. So uh, because, you know, they, and I guess we have to talk about that fifth-rounder that they tossed in there for Calais Campbell. So to me, this is a team that knows that they are going to be bad in 2020 and who really didn't bother to spend a lot of money on win-now veterans. This is a team that knows they're starting over and will probably – be picking pretty high in the draft next year and having two front first round picks next year. It's going to be really nice to have that capital that they need to really begin this rebuild with some nice pieces. So uh, I think you like what they did, but it's kind of moves for the future and not a lot of things that made them better in 2020 necessarily, but let's go ahead Let's flip our attention over to the Indianapolis Colts, all right? This is a team – this is a fun one. And along with the Buffalo Bills, I will confess – This is a team that I find myself pulling for. Owner Jim Ursay really puts a damper on that enthusiasm, Um, but but maybe it's a Midwest thing. I like the Colts, and I like a lot of what they're doing to reboot this franchise. I think they've got an excellent coach in Frank Reich, and I love Chris Ballard as a GM. And obviously, no one expected Andrew Luck. Uh, to have the injury issues, the ongoing injury issues, I guess you could say, that he had. And no one expected his retirement. And that definitely disrupts this franchise. But. Uh, I think that even in all of that, this is a team that looks like it has a bright future, and I think that they did some nice things to keep the ball rolling in the right direction here. So uh, They were able to re-sign, tackle Anthony Costanzo to a two-year deal this offseason. It pays him $17 million in year one and 16 million in year two, but none of that money is guaranteed in the second year. He has absolutely no dead cap attached to his name after this season, which is a great deal for the Colts. So they keep one of the best tackles in the game with no risk beyond 2020 so you have to like that move for indianapolis and then we get into some of the free agency acquisitions uh, here that they made in addition to that clearly signing philip rivers is a big big deal for this team rivers signed a one-year 25 million dollar deal that's fully guaranteed so it will be interesting to see how philip rivers delivers on that one-year deal Uh, But then also, if he does have an interest to continue his career after 2020, obviously, the man does have, believe it or not, nine children at home. And so he will have plenty to keep him busy in retirement if that is the direction that he chooses after 2020. So we'll see what the future holds for Mr. Rivers. Uh, Some other interesting things that they did here, um, they were able to pick up Sheldon Day, the defensive tackle, uh, offensive lineman LaRaven Clark, former Bears and Eagles tight end Trey Burton, uh, cornerbacks T.J. Carey and Xavier Rhodes as free agents. We talked a little bit about Rhodes on our show a few weeks ago when we did our Vikings breakdown. Um, But it's really amazing that Rhodes ended up signing that one-year, $3 million prove-it deal here with the Colts after being considered that elite cornerback just a couple seasons ago. So interesting to see his development or, I guess, Um, his progression in his career now that he's with the Colts. And then, of course, the Colts traded their first-round pick to the 49ers for DeForest Buckner. The Colts went on to sign Buckner to a five-year contract that averages a healthy $21 million per year. So some big cash flowing for these Colts. Uh, between Costanzo, Rivers, and Buckner, uh, the Colts didn't really have any major departures either this offseason. They released pass rusher Marcus Hunt, who was that uh, big upside prospect a couple years ago in the draft. Uh, same thing with cornerback Pierre Deserre. Uh Didn't work out. They released him as well. Veteran quarterback Brian Hoyer has also left the Colts. Uh, they traded cornerback Quincy Wilson to the New York Jets for a 2026 round pick that they used this year, which is some humble pie for me personally because I lo- liked Wilson more than I liked Kevin King in the 2017 draft. So sorry, Kevin King. You're going to have to forgive me for that one. But uh, they also lost Eric Ebron to the Steelers and Devin Funches to your Green Bay Packers uh, there in free agency as well. But that's about it. Some big additions in Rivers and Buckner and then some low-risk, high-reward signings Uh, with guys like Xavier Rhodes and Trey Burton. So uh, obviously Indy gave up their first round pick for Buckner. So I'm curious, Andrew, how did they fare with the rest of that draft class and the capital that they had to work with? Sure, and you know certainly a lot of movement
3: uh, in in free agency for Indianapolis, and a lot of players brought in, and in the draft, like you said, uh, they did not have a first round pick, and then in the second they uh, kind of gutted some Packer fans by taking wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. Um, I know a lot of people absolutely loved Michael Pittman. Um, I was not quite as high on him. I, I thought he, you know, lacked long speed and short area quickness. He's definitely going to make a ton of contested catches, and you saw a lot lot of that on his his college highlights I thought he needed to improve his route tree and will run you over but he's probably not going to have enough wheel to make you miss and so like my whole attitude with Michael Pittman Jr. was like what does he do that Alan Lazard doesn't and why am I spending a high round pick on a player where I already have that skill set on my roster um so anyways just me <laughs> they, they had a second second round pick, uh, and they used that on running back Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. Uh, Taylor, on the flip side of Pittman, he he was actually my running back one. Um, and it, before everybody accuses me of Wisconsin bias, um, you know, when I looked at him, I saw really great balance. You have to wrap him up to get him on the ground. Good st- Start and stop, uh, decent agility, to make tacklers miss. Really a check down guy in the passing game, which can needs to continue to be developed. But he showed a little bit of promise there during during last season. Um, he's not gonna run past many players at the next level. But I just I saw him as. Uh, a more explosive A.J. Dillon. He doesn't have that size, but, like, the speed is there. Um, So when he inevitably runs somebody over, he's got the ability to take it to the house. Um, And so I really, really liked what Taylor was willing – or the skill set that Taylor brought to the table – um, and potentially, um, you know, his fit in this offense could be something really special. Uh, in the third round, uh, they took safety Julian Blackman from Utah, which is funny because I actually graded out three safeties from Utah. Um mm-hmm. And Blackman, Blackman was kind of in the middle um, of of those three, but he got drafted the highest. He's better in deep half of zone coverages. Um, I don't really like him in single high because I didn't think athletically he was good enough to do that. But, you know, still learning the position after he converted from cornerback. So obviously, as a former corner, he has really good ball skills. I uh, like his ability to drop down and shadow in man coverage, uh, and he's a really good tackler, which is a nice surprise. So um, we'll we'll see what the the Colts get in Blackman, but it is funny how quickly Malik Hooker has fallen out of good graces in Indianapolis. I mean, this this is a guy that they were talking about as the future of the safety position, the next Earl Thomas, and there's a possibility he's not even back with the team after this year, so... We'll see what happens there uh, in Indy in the fourth round. Uh, they made a splash by taking quarterback Jacob Eason. Uh, I thought you know he has a really compact throwing motion. He throws the ball deep without a lot of effort. Uh, his footwork is good when he has a clean pocket, but he does have a bad habit of throwing off his back leg with pressured. Uh, he works his way through progression. Sometimes it takes a long time to pull the trigger. Um, and you know he, he can drive the ball well, um, but he is that traditional pocket passer. So it is interesting you get Phillip rivers who has like the worst mobility of any quarterback in the NFL. Um, And then you bring in Jacob Eason to kind of be like that statuesque quarterback as well. So kind of funny, interesting. Yeah, Indy seems to be going the opposite direction of all the other teams in the NFL. But um, in the fifth round, they got uh, guard Danny Pinter, who I really liked, actually. Uh, he used to be a tight end, so great movement skills. Um, he's going to kick inside. He's got short arms, so that's a problem. Um, he's not quite strong enough to play guard in the NFL, right? Because he used to play tight end at Ball State. <laughs> um, but he is a developmental guy with a lot of upside. And and I, I, I like him as that red shirt guy who could potentially be a really good guard moving forward. And if we know anything about Indy is they know how to develop offensive alignment and they, they got a really <laughs> good, really good front five. Um, the rest of the draft, they had four, six rounders, uh, a bunch of guys that I don't have much
2: to say about. So I'm good. good. Okay. <laughs> I love uh, Indy's first two picks there. I really came to love Michael Pittman late in the draft process. So I am jealous of that pick. I thought he was a great fit for what Green Bay uh, looks for in a receiver. I thought he was going to be someone that they would target. Obviously that didn't come to fruition. Um, I think he's going to be a great player in the league for a long time. And you asked a question. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted my feedback, so I'm going to give it to you here. I missed my opportunity earlier. Um, you ask, what makes him better than Lazard? And for me, I think he has a very similar profile to Lazard and will probably win in similar ways. I think you know both of these guys are number two receivers who profile best as X receivers or big slots. And I think you love the catch radius and the hands that you get from both guys. Uh, both guys are committed to their craft, which I think is an under-valued um, trait maybe coming out in the draft. And we've seen... Um, You know, Lazard, when he was on the show a couple weeks ago, talked about um, that the mental side of the game is something that he's really committed to improving this offseason. So uh, they're both going to maximize their impact in the details and the more nuanced part of the game. And so while I think they're similar kind of guys, I didn't see that as a knock on Pittman. I just think that it's uh, I think Pittman is going to have t- T.Y. Hilton alongside of him. That's a good thing. I think Lazard has Devonte opposite him. That's a good thing. I think they're they're good uh, matches. So I was okay with having two guys who are kind of similar that you could maybe play one at X, one in on the slot, and and just <laughs> have some of that big personnel that the Packers do seem to like uh, there with their wide receivers. So would you like to respond to my thoughts on the Pittman Lazard? I mean.
3: Devin Funches has gotten mentioned a couple different times in this podcast, right? And the the Packers have him, so in in essence, we're like triplicating this Kansas is true. Guy, Michael this Pittman true. In the Packers roster, and I just I, I felt like speaking of Funches, early in his career when he went to Carolina, they had Kelvin Benjamin, and it just it wasn't a diverse enough skill set, um, and so like in theory, that's great, right? You have two big bully receivers. Um, I just didn't know if in practice that was um, going to be a, a really good fit, and clearly the Packers didn't have a first-round grade on Michael Pittman Jr. Or they would have taken him. They yeah. they, they probably would have stuck and picked at thirty, um, and so they they didn't value him quite as high. Um, so interesting. Yeah. I, I don't I don't disagree with you. It's just um, you know all of us who analyze players in the draft we we have our personal preferences and i like guys that are our route runners mm-hmm. um so the Devonte adams of the world like that i love jerry judy mm-hmm. um and those are the guys that catch my eye more um sure. and michael Pittman jr i thought had some holes in that in that portion of his game and so it, he didn't he didn't necessarily catch my eye but i mean you know he could
2: very well go out and have a fantastic rookie year yeah, sure. absolutely. and you you raise a couple of things there that are really important, like to remember. And one of those things is uh, that there is some correlation in that route running uh, ability. You see a lot of receivers that do take some time to develop. But if a route runner in college uh, comes in and that's one of their strengths, they seem to translate a little bit better and have a a better impact, especially earning the trust of quarterbacks in general, but quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers as well. So that's an interesting trait that I always pay attention to, especially considering, Um, where Green Bay is at and all of that but uh, it's interesting to also note uh, like you said Pittman is someone that Green Bay could have stuck and picked at 30 Denzel Mims is another guy they could have stuck and taken at 30 and it is interesting you know we heard in the lead up to the draft that there were teams who had first round grades on those players it seems unlikely that that is The case with Mims for many teams, Um, but it is obviously clear that Green Bay was not one of those teams that was just so in love with those two players that they had to have them at pick 30. So interesting things to continue to reflect on as we deal with the fact that the Green Bay Packers did not add a wide receiver in this draft class. But um, let's move on here back to the Indianapolis Colts. We digress. Um, I really liked Jonathan Taylor for this team as well. You mentioned that uh, the Colts are going to be starting over here shortly with a young quarterback in the very near future. Uh, I think Taylor gives this team an offensive identity that will really help out a young quarterback. I am not a big Jacob Easton fan, so I don't see him as the future here. But I do like the young nucleus of talent that Chris Ballard has assembled for this franchise. And I think that they did a really nice job in the draft again this year. I continue to like the moves that Chris Ballard makes and uh, how he's kind of been dealt kind of a rotten deal with with the luck news uh, that he got a couple years ago. But I I like the moves that he makes here, and I think that this is a franchise setup for the future. Um, But I guess we're at the place here. Do we make a call here? Did they get better, or did they get worse this offseason, Andrew? Before I jump into that, something
3: something that's been bothering me ever since the draft, and I don't mean to be getting into other teams, but... (laughs) You know, we we have the Patrick Mahomes contract from what was it a week ago? It could have been six years ago. I have no idea. <laughs> know, time like three time, months is, ago. time is weird right now. But um, so you know the the Kansas City Chiefs. We're we're talking about Jonathan Taylor with the Colts. I thought that Jonathan Taylor would have been the perfect fit in Kansas City. Um, and they take Clyde Edwards Alaire, who had been connected with the Chiefs, and a lot of people say, like he's the perfect fit in that offense because he's such a good receiver. He's a very polished route runner, And all of those things are are true, you know, and and Edwards Alaire, don't get me wrong, really, really good runner, great balance. I just thought like this this is this this is where roster building gets really interesting for me. So the Kansas City Chiefs have all of these weapons to spread you out as a defense. You're never going to face eight in the box against, you know, the Chiefs, right? Ever. Because Tyreek Hill is going to yeah. beat you. McCole Hardman going to beat you. Travis Kelsey's is going to beat you. Weapons galore. Why not get the guy who has been running against stacked boxes for the last three years at Wisconsin that you can just hand him the ball? And you're telling Jonathan Taylor you have one guy to beat in the box for a 10-yard gain and two guys to beat for going to the house. Like, mm-hmm. give me that every time. I, I I don't know. To to me, like, drafting a guy because he's a great receiving back to a team that already has weapons all
2: over the place in the receiving game, it just it didn't make as much sense to me. Yeah, you make a really, really good point. I mean, Jonathan Taylor doesn't... He is a big back, but he doesn't give up much in speed. And so, I mean, you do have that ability. You don't give up the big play ability with that player. He just really gives you the opportunity to say, hey, are you going to put an extra guy in the box? Or are you going to put some extra guys in the secondary because we're going to tear you up there? So that's a really good you know, point, obviously, You know, Clyde Edwards-O'Leary could be an awesome player for them, uh, but I haven't thought about the dynamic of adding a player like Taylor to them, and I think the same argument can be made uh, for the Green Bay Packers and the way that they've handled the running back situation and adding a bigger back this year as well. So, I mean, it is interesting to think about that. I don't think we have... Enough, obviously, outside of Derrick Henry and what teams are hoping becomes the case uh, to, to make those statements yet about how this impacts the offense. But I think that is the goal, uh, what you're saying. So interesting thoughts there um, on I I just like taking us down (laughs) that weird rabbit
3: hole. It's good. good. So the question that you asked before was, did the Colts get better or worse this offseason? So I will finally try to answer your your question. You know, it's funny to look back at this. This seemed like a team that was on the precipice of a run of dominance in the AFC. And it's funny. We're talking about the Jaguars, who were really close to winning an AFC championship a few years ago, lose, and then had to tear down their whole roster. And it looked like the Colts were about to make that move. They make the playoffs. They they have um, some great young talent. They have the most cap space in the NFL. And years left of Andrew Luck's prime. And then it just all comes crashing down. And the Colts are better than they were last year, but I'm not sure how much better. Like, I, I think they might still be chasing the Texans and the Titans. And it certainly will be a tough matchup for Green Bay. But I, I still think the Colts are a pretty mediocre team, unless you see Phillip Rivers having a massive bounce back season.
2: Yeah, I really like the direction of this Colts franchise as a whole. I I don't fully understand the Philip Rivers move. I don't think he gives you enough to compete for a Super Bowl right now. And I don't think he'll be around long enough to galvanize this young team. But I do think he is an upgrade at quarterback, even if his arm is falling off before our eyes. Um, But other than that, I think this is a team that's trying to figure out the long-term plan at quarterback. And I love the direction in general for them on offense. Their offensive line is one of the best in football and the Colts have Chris Ballard to thank for taking Quentin Nelson in the top 10 and then hitting an absolute home run with Braden Smith at tackle Um, not to mention they have center Ryan Kelly and Anthony Costanzo here as well and so just a great offensive line in general so I'm sure Philip Rivers has got to be psyched to be playing behind that line and then you think about Jonathan Taylor and how crazy awesome he could be behind this group as well so I really like all the weapons that they've assembled here people I I think are sleeping a little bit on TY Hilton and the player that he can still be And then they've added guys like Paris Campbell uh, in the draft last year to uh, hopefully continue to develop into being that Swiss Army kind of player uh, that could be uh, that kind of an impact there in the short game. And then they added the big body guy in Michael Pittman this year. So I really like the roster construction that has taken place here in Indy for the offense. The defense does still have a lot of holes. Uh, There are some significant concerns there, especially in the secondary The corners are not a very good group, and they're going to need Xavier Rose to come in and really step up and play well this year. That's going to be a big, big deal for this team to have him be that number one corner. Um, I actually forgot that Justin Houston is still on this team. He's obviously aging significantly at this point, but with younger pieces like Buckner and Darius Leonard, I think there's a lot to be excited about in this Indy team, and I definitely think uh, that this offseason was a big step forward for the Colts.
3: Yeah, so uh, the Packers will be playing the Jaguars at Lambeau Sunday at noon in week 10. And then week 11, they're going to be at Indianapolis Sunday at noon again. So back-to-back noon games. Um, but that is all the time that we have for today. Happy 100, Kyle. Uh, Happy 100. <laughs> this has been the Packer Day Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Please remember to always follow at Packer Day Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday, and we'll be back next week with a review of the Eagles, Panthers, and Titans offseason. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Go, pack, go.